We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. And welcome to the Moose and Runes podcast. This episode 251 of the pod. We are well past celebration. Matt Rooney, it's time to break down the Bears draft, which back to business, depending on where you're sitting or standing, could be cause for celebration, tears, or somewhere in between is more likely the reality. But first and foremost, Matt Rooney, how the hell are you? Joe, I, I depart for San Diego like 540 tomorrow morning, so I'm, I'm doing really well. I'm a little bit in vacation mode, but I'm not – I'll be in vacation mode after this podcast. But I'm like, you know, I've got a little bit senior, senior, little bit of senioritis. Excuse me. Can't even talk, but still going to go all out for this pod for you. Yeah, you might, be, uh, you might be more fit for Boca Raton mentally than uh, San Diego. <laughs> Been more fit for Boca Raton since I was like 21. Send you the Del Boca Vista with the Seinfelds. Yeah, um, just hang me up. What's, I'm done. Uh, what's in San Diego other than probably premium golf? And uh, no, no golf this trip. Uh, Alyssa turned 30 uh, or 27. Uh, excuse happy me. Birthday, friend uh, of the podcast. <laughs> her birthday was uh, was April 30th, so we got a little birthday trip vacation down to the uh, I think the nicest part of the country to go take a vacation. She turned 24, Matt. Word to the wise. She turned 24 this year. She will turn 24 next year. Uh, but cause enough for celebration <laughs> each time around. Happy birthday to friend of the pod, Alyssa. Uh, Guest of Matt, the pod as well. Yeah, yeah. A significant other of the pod. I think it's you also could, true. You could, you could do multiple. You do multiple. Uh, multiple titles here. Where I I only get host, so uh, at least she's got that going for her. Um, Matt, let's dive into the Bears draft here. No time to waste. Uh, it is in the rear view. I mean, broad strokes, Ryan Poles maximizes on day three, ends up with 11 new bodies in the building. That's something I think we can be very positive about. Um, Maybe the first picks, our second round selections, departed from the need-based approach that plenty of fans would have liked to seen. But, like, yeah, coming into the draft, we're talking about fortifying the O-line. We're talking about getting an elite target for Justin Fields. But... At 39, we were sort of in that no man's land where the top six guys had gone mm-hmm. and you're either talking yourself into Sky more or you're reaching on somebody that you think you know more about. So I, I didn't hate the approach um, going secondary, secondary. I don't know that it was wrong, but for me, it illuminated that need based for the Chicago Bears and the way that this front office is assessing it is far more broad than than maybe the two problems we located heading into the draft. The secondary was a problem. The secondary mm-hmm. is a problem. And I think that they um, they leaned into that. And I know we're sort of in this uh Bears fandom limbo of are we a defensive stalwart? Are we an offensive team? How do we look like both of those things simultaneously? But I mean, can you be mad at a first year general manager from departing from what the previous regime did initially and saying, hey, let's address the defense. Let's be big. Let's be bad. If we don't have that premier wideout on the board that we want, well, then let's stop the teams who do have the premier wideouts. Yeah. And like, Yes, going into the draft, you talk about it, obviously, to help Justin Fields. Offensive line, huge need. Wide receiver, huge need. That run on receivers where they went, you know, 10, 11, 12, and then teams started taking them, like, that run really hurt the Bears, and that's where it hurt not having a first-round yeah. pick or not having really a chance to get back into the first six, round without having a bunch of picks trades. Six receivers on the first 18 yeah. picks of this draft, that's and then you saw everybody get away. That was a clear line of demarcation because no other receivers selected – until I'd be guessing off the top of my head, but I know I know no other hmm. receiver selected in the first round after pick eighteen. And then after that, you also you know 
go offensive line, some people say. Well, there was also a runner offensive line. I think there were like nine offensive linemen taken in the first draft. The first draft was pretty much all, or first round was pretty much all receiver, lineman, or edge. Uh, the Bears are, well, they probably need an edge rusher or okay there now. They don't need to need somebody right away. A need they have. I mean, you look in, who's their cornerbacks going into, into 2022? It's, it's Jalen Johnson, and Thomas Graham had a really nice two or three games to close out 2021, but like, you need bodies there. You need players there. Kyler Gordon's a guy that they clearly identified and said, we have this guy high on our board. We're not going to reach for a wide receiver. That's a third round value to us. We're going to take the corner. And then there's a safety that, you know, a lot of people like in Jaquan Brisker, people are saying that was a very nice pick. Um, Who's your other safety outside of Eddie Jackson, who by the way, sucked last year. (laughs) He's owed a lot of money. Like he needs some help. So did they feel the needs we wanted them to right away with those two second round picks? No, but did they fill needs? I mean, absolutely. And it's like you said, it's, it's kind of the opposite of what we saw with Ryan Pace's philosophies, trading up to get guys you identify as your guys, taking the guys just highest on your board, not, maybe not based on most immediate need, but need. And then also at the back end of the draft, I mean, they traded back and I love offensive linemen play. I love when you, you see the first round talents, but like, there's va- that's one position in the NFL where there's value to be found in later rounds. We see it every year. There's you know starters, there's pro bowlers that are fifth, sixth, seventh round draft picks. And what they did at the end of the draft was just throw a whole bunch of stuff against the wall and see if one or two of them stick. And, I mean, they had one last year with Larry Borum, and they're hoping they get one or two more that stick and to be guys that can be starters or swing linemen here too. So I- I'm okay with the – this is what I expected. Absolutely not, but I'm okay with it. They took guys high on their board and they took a receiver in the third round who runs a four, three Like uh, that's fine. I, I think that you touched on something there, Matt, and the fact that, you know, we often think of these two philosophies when it comes to the draft, one being best available, one being need-based. And we think of those as diverging roads, but they can be converging. And mm-hmm. I think that's what Ryan Poles did here. It was best available within our needs is the way he approached it. So I don't really have an issue with it there. Obviously, you would have loved to gotten uh, Justin Fields some more help at the Mm -hmm. wide receiver position, but the opportunity doesn't present itself. You have to find other end roads um, to get that done. And when everybody says, oh, we don't have a a true number one wide out, well, Darnell Mooney emerged, and I think that he's got a lot of skill to be a one type, maybe not a bona fide six foot two, six foot three big he body. He could be a one A route, but he can be a a one type threat yeah. that then put pieces around. Um, if Byron Pringle ends up on the roster and can stay out of trouble, I mean, he's another speedster that you can run across the field. We need more out of Cole Komet. I mean, there are pieces on this offense that have room to grow. Like everybody wants to just buy everything off the shelf and have that be the answer. Well, if that's how you think about the draft and if that's how you think about this offense, think about this defense this way because the Bears did just draft what should be two day one rookie starters Mm -hmm. with their first two picks. Kyler Gordon should be starting at at the field corner or at the near side corner. And Penn State's Jaquan Brisker should be starting at safety next to Eddie Jackson at that strong safety type role. So, I mean, you can only talk out of so many sides of your mouth at once. And I don't think that Sky Moore uh, at number 39 was going to be the pick him off the shelf, true number one wide receiver that was going to solve all of our offensive problems. Um, I think that patience is important here, and that's something that Bears fans and us too here on this podcast struggle with at times because Ryan Poles inherited not just one problem, not just two problems, but problems at just about every position that were created by the previous regime. 
So I say we take a deep breath. I say we see how these picks pan out. I was just really impressed in his day three approach and getting a lot of bodies in the building. And hopefully, you know, you get how many guys on day three? Was it seven oh, geez, picks? I, I got it open here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight picks, including a punter. So like they, they did their they did their due diligence. All at seven picks and a leg. I mean, if you can get four of those to hit and be on your roster next year, year following, you'll look back on this draft as a, as a glowing success. There'll be time to get wideouts. There's, I feel like there's been this shift in um, the team construction ethos in the NFL because we're seeing all of this this explosion of it's been about a decade now of pass first offense. And a lot of the top talent in the youth leagues and then through high school and college is leaning towards the wide receiver position. Mm-hmm. So you're then seeing a lot of that talent come off the board. And now you're seeing a lot of talent evaluators say, forget building this thing inside out from the offensive line to the wideouts. Look what Cincinnati did last year. Let's go get the best wideouts in the business. Let's get a quarterback to throw it to him and we'll figure things out up front. I think that's sort of still a hollow approach. I think last year's Bengals were an exception. I think it's an outlier, yeah that we will then see come back into the fold. And like we always say, this talent evaluation thing is pretty cyclical. You're going to see teams, we're going to see in a few years, everybody going offensive line early, um, everybody going edge early. And you still saw some of that in this year's draft. But I just think this whole, um, I think this whole wide out first, figure it out later approach is, it's fleeting. So that's why I'm not pissed that Ryan Poles didn't chase that sort of fleeting success. Yeah, like people when when they when people talk about you know the Bengals taking the jump from you know whatever was fifth pick in the draft last year to AFC champion Super Bowl representative, and you know why can't the Bears do that? Well, the Bengals were able to do that because they were in a position in the draft that allowed them to go draft Jamar Chase at number five, who was a proven you know elite talent. They had a lot of picks last year. They were able to get pieces around Joe Burrow. Ryan Poles didn't have that luxury. There was no trading into the top five or top 10 to go get Chris Olave without really sacrificing the rest of your roster. And that wasn't necessarily going to make you ready to go to a Super Bowl anyways, because like, like we said, even that was a little bit of an outlier last year and they, they, they caught some breaks along the way. Um, but like you look at next year, this, this Bears team is still going to be the division's not great, so they're probably going to win some games there, but like they're, they're not going to be a very good team. They're still probably picking in the top 10 next year. You have three wide receivers that right now, I know it's a long way to project, but like y- you have three wide receivers in next year's draft that could be like top 10-like guys in Jordan Addison and Kayshawn Butte and Jackson Smith and Jigba. Like, those guys are going to be there next year. Like there's no, this, this whole idea of we need, to, we need to go get guys now, we need to be ready now, let's go do things now. Just be patient. He got, this guy came into a situation, Ryan Poles came into a, situ- into a situation without many top picks, without much talent. He's going to have cap space next year. He's going to get pieces all over his team, not just right with his quarterback, and just let things develop. Give him some time. This isn't going to be fixed overnight, and we knew that. I, I know we all want Justin Fields to be great right away. He still can be very good. Let's let's watch him grow next year, and then let's get the pieces around him. He's still got some okay ones around him this year. It's not like there's absolutely nobody he's got to throw with. He has a thousand plus yard receiver in Darnell Mooney with him this year. I completely agree with you. And let's pose it as a question to Bears fans: Would you rather uh, Justin Fields be surrounded by wide receiver and pass catching talent and have no time to throw, or would you rather have him standing in a clean pocket trying to find average receivers get open, or trying to find Darnell Mooney streaking on the field? I'll take the latter. Ten days out of ten. Um, I, I think that 
with the Bears having addressed the offensive line position and drafting some depth there on day three, I think you do get some answers there. And it's all about it, it, okay. It's about getting the guys in the building mm-hmm. and then turning them into actual professionals. Yeah, that, that's a that's a steeper climb uh, when you're talking about a third round selection, a guy who's not as uh, ready made out of the box as let's say an Evan Neal or let's say an Iki Aquanu. Um, mm-hmm. Those guys were never coming to town. We were never going to pick those guys without drafting up, which, again, was the last thing that the Bears needed to do. And the last thing that we wanted to see this regime do was, again, mortgage the future on a, on fleeting success here mm-hmm. one year off. And, and the point you make, a year that's probably going to be a sub-500 year, picking sixth overall in the draft or somewhere in that in, in that department. So it is a process. I think this was a nice step forward, the first step forward in the process of uh, – of the polls Eberflus uh, regime, if you will, here, Matt. But um, I guess I, I guess I want a, a little of your insight here on the receiver we did take. What can sure. you tell me about uh, Vellis Jones Jr. at seventy-one out of Tennessee? Um, fast, I think, is the first word that comes but to mind. But that, uh, that fast kind and of old. Strange. I think fast and old is what I've taken away from some of the it, conversation. It is a little strange to see a twenty-five-year-old get drafted, and I'm not going to lie, I, I didn't really know of this part of this receiver before he got drafted. Of this, but the, of this, of this man, I was going to say this kid, but this man, this twenty-five-year-old man. Um, but no, like Ryan Poles said when he came, like he wants to build. You know, he, he came from the Chiefs. He wants to try and build a team in the mold that he knows how to build it. He obviously saw people build it in different ways with three different very good GMs. But the, the commonplace factor with all three of those guys was speed. That team was always fast. That team could always run. That t- like to, I'm not saying Velas Jones is Tyreek Hill, but, like, that team went because they had, like, game-breaking speed, like uh, guys like Tyreek Hill, Nicole Hardman, Sammy Watkins at times. And that's what uh, Ryan Poles is going to want to do. He he. You don't. You probably want some size at receiver, but for the most part, you got you want burners. You want guys that can have you know game breaking speed that cornerbacks can't keep up with, and that's something that Velas Jones gives you. He ran a, a four three one. Darnell Mooney's fast. I don't know what his forty time is off the top of my head, but I thought it was in the four fours. Like you, you're getting that speed, and now you are going to have to get some more pieces, obviously, around that. But Ryan Poles is trying to build a fast offense that can play up tempo football and keep up with today's NFL, and that's what's going to help Justin Fields the most, I think, and not trying to run, you know, a slow trotting archaic type looking offense that, you know, I think Matt Nagy masked as like a high octane offense, but it's, it's just going to take some time to build it. But I, I, I like the step in getting a really, really fast guy. If you don't have sure talent, go get sure speed because you can work with speed. If the sure thing isn't there. Um, again, it's all clay to be molded. What mm-hmm. will this coaching staff, what will this front office do with this talent that's now in the building? It, it's not as simple as plug and play. It's not Madden. You know, you can't just put all the 99 ranked guys out there and expect to win a Super Bowl. Whether you got 99s or you got a bunch of 78s, you need to be able to coach them up. You need to be able to put guys in a position to succeed. And that's where the responsibility falls at the feet of this staff. And, Hopefully we can be enthused about that. Hopefully mm-hmm. we can, um, you know, see inklings of that sort of development and progression that we did not see under Matt Nagy because so much of the conversation became, "Come on, guy, is this really how we're? Is this really how we're running our team? Is this really how we're running our locker room?" Mm-hmm. You know, all of the negativity that surrounded that man sort of blinded us to the lack of um, the lack of growth on the youth of this roster. Yeah. You got, you had guys like nobody Cleo got Mack. better. 
and Robert Quinn. Exactly. Nobody got any better. Darnell Mooney. Darnell Mooney's it. Um, but like, again, I'll go back to Cole Komet here. Action figure out of the box, ready to rock. We saw what he's capable of at the collegiate level and almost regressed yeah. when he got to the NFL level. Is that on him? Yes, yeah, part of it. But a lot of that is on the talent development. A lot of that is on what you're doing inside the building. So as long as you're bringing these guys, these 11 rookies, into a new building um, that is focused on developing them, that is focused on the right things, that is not focused on just spinning narratives to the media the way the last regime was, well, I think that, I think, again, we are taking steps in the right direction. And I know that that's a, um, not a fatalist approach, but, and not a loser's approach, but you gotta, you gotta find your wins where you can when you're the Chicago Bears right now. Mm-hmm. And hey, like, yeah, did they go out and get George Pickens or trade up for Chris Olave? No. But what they did do is they drafted two guys that are going to immediately help their defense. What is a young quarterback's best friend outside of a good offensive line, whatever? Not having to put up 35 points a game to win a football game. Not having to worry about his defense being a liability all the time. I'm not saying the defense is fixed just like that with these two draft picks, but this should help the defense. This should help them slow down passing games and should take a little bit less pressure off Justin Fields. What's another thing that helps a young quarterback? Special teams and good field position. What did Ryan Poles do? And Velas Jones and uh, Tristan Ebner, the running back out of Baylor, who projects to be you know, a backup running back, third down back type. He went out and got two guys that are very good special teams players. I think Ebner was first team all Big 12 as a kick returner, if I, I want to say something like that, and was you know one of the top kick returners in the draft. Vilas Jones returned kicks and punts for Tennessee. So he went out and got guys that can help, you know, if they can't be immediately immediate helps on the offensive end, which you hope Jones is to some extent, but not going to be a game breaker right away. What can they do? They can return punts and make some people miss and make, you know, have Justin Fields start a drive from the 50 as opposed to the 35. They can not wave their arm automatically every time on a kick and maybe run you back to the 35 instead of the 25, save a few yards there. So what he did may not directly help Justin Fields tomorrow, but what he did probably helps the situation around him make it a little bit better, if that makes sense. Matt, what's the next move you want to see the Bears make here post-draft, roster-wise, staff-wise? Like, what's what's next on the docket for Ryan Poles? Because the work does not stop when uh, when the clock stops at the draft. Matt, like, I know that the name everybody throws out there is Jarvis Landry, and I, I hate to sound a little bit like textbook, but if he if he's not waiting for you know, the Chiefs or the Patriots or the Chargers or somebody to clear cap space and go sign a one-year deal. I would love to go and try and get a veteran. He's he's not a superstar receiver anymore, but he's still a very capable, good wide receiver and I think could have a little bit of a renaissance getting away from Baker Mayfield like you saw Odell do. And just getting a receiver with some experience that could be a little bit of an elder statesman in that room and help Justin Fields, I think that experience would go a long way. But also, like, you can't, make him not be holding on to go go to a contender because that's a guy that's never won and maybe he just wants to play for a team that has a chance to win next year i don't know if you can convince him but that that would be again not to say they haven't made that phone call but my first phone call i'd be trying to get him here because you can kind of swing it next year and make it so a deal you're signing a two-year deal everything kind of kicks in next year yeah because i I don't know that um you know he's getting older like you said but i don't know that his he's not done i don't know that his Regression last year was all because of his age. I think that a lot of that was because he was swept Baker. up in the that became the Cleveland Browns. Um, I do like Juice. I mean, look at look at the list of free agent wide receivers. Julio Jones is sitting out there. Not to say that that's a fit or going to happen. 
Um, especially with A.J. Brown being traded from Tennessee. You probably see Tennessee give him a couple years to try and keep him there. Mm-hmm. Um, Jarvis Landry, Will Fuller still floating out there. I know injury prone, but a guy who can stretch the field. If you want a shot with speed, go pay Will Fuller, you know, an incentive-loaded like, two-year deal and see if he can get – like that's – when he's healthy, he's the fastest receiver in the NFL other than ty- not named Tyreek Hill. Not that he's a long-term answer, but Emmanuel Sanders is out there. Um, you got guys like, I mean, Odell's obviously a wait and see. Mm-hmm. He'll probably find either by a, a contender that's already set or he'll get signed halfway through the season. Um, Marquise Goodwin really saw a renaissance. I, not not necessarily, but I don't know if you want to bring him back. Yeah. Two years ago, he was productive with the Niners. I, I don't know. I guess I'm just trying to spin positivity here that there are some names still out there at the wide receiver position, but I too would be focused on Will Fuller, Jarvis Landry as my first, second, third. Go add one of those eight guys. Yeah, yeah. Ideally one of those top three, four we mentioned, but like go get one of those eight guys that can be a stabilizing, you know, force and somewhat of a safety blanket for Justin. You want a veteran presence. I've never been, I've kind of always been a truther when it comes to T.Y. Hilton, but he's done nothing but produce with a million different quarterbacks in anything. Mm-hmm. So I mean, T.Y. is another guy out there. So I think that the discretion that Ryan Poles put forth on draft day when it came to the wide receiver position is not only um, encouraging, but I think there was some strategy behind it, knowing that there were some free agents out here. And with each passing mm-hmm. day, the market value on each one of these names goes down. You're going to get a bargain on one of these free agent yeah. names. Where after the draft, one of these guys is just going to be looking to get into a camp somewhere. I mean, you're talking about a guy like Jarvis Landry, who if he's waiting for that perfect situation and it doesn't come around, well – then you sit a year and is your career over? Like mm-hmm. you're going to be able to get one of these guys for a song. And yeah. um, and it, whichever one of those guys doesn't land with a contender, a chance to play with Justin Fields, I would think would be a more of a selling point for, as opposed to going to a team like, I don't know. I think just playing for just with Justin Fields is a little bit more enticing than a Zach Wilson or with Daniel Jones, the giants. Like I, I think the bears become one of those, you know, one-year renaissance receiver type spots where they might want to play with Justin Fields, a chance to kind of revive revive their career. Matt, can I just can I speak to the Golden Domer in you for a second? Let's, can I we would, just can we just can we just paint the picture? Will Fuller, Equinemius St. Brown, and Cole Komet out there for uh, for Justin Fields to throw the ball to? <laughs> I would, man. Like I, the, the the Notre Dame fan in me that saw Will Fuller, that saw how big of a game breaker he was at Notre Dame. I will always think he can be a star in this league. I know, I right? Always want, like I always want to take the shot at him. But he's, but damn it, he's going to score six touchdowns. He's too fast for his own hamstrings. Like that's just <laughs> it. He's too fast for his own hamstrings. So he keeps pulling him. But man, like if you told me the Bears signed Will Fuller to a one year deal and I, and he was going to play eight games next year, I'd be like, all right, let's go. I'm ready for it. Because you know, oh, one of those games, you're gonna have a big deep ball from Justin Fields. It's gonna be perfect, and he's gonna beat it, beat the coverage. Right. Um, any final thoughts on Bears draft here before we uh, broaden the scope a bit? No, I'm. I I actually feel even better about talking about the draft now that we've talked it through. I was fine with it. You know, wasn't love it, hate it. I, I was just kind of like, fine, good draft. The more we've talked yeah. through it, the more I'm starting to we like it. We weren't positioned to change much. You know, mm-hmm. that's why I think. Volume and development was the approach here um, in, in the first year of, of, of Poles' draft. So um, while it might have been jarring to see secondary, secondary with our first two picks there quickly on day two, maybe it, maybe it was what was best. Stay so, the um, course. Stay the course. <laughs> Just believe. Just believe. believe. Um, 
Some other teams had some really impressive drafts. Uh, the Jets come to mind, as odd as that is to say. The Giants had a great first round. I think the mm-hmm. Giants got the two players in this draft, in Kayvon Thibodeau and uh, Evan Neal. They got a little funky there down the stretch, going Wandale Robinson, uh, the former Nebraska wideout who transferred to, I forget where he was last year. But it's essentially Kadarius Tony 2.0. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what they were doing there with that pick, a head scratcher. Um, everybody, the, the, the sort of... Um, consensus here from everybody that I've spoken to is that the Ravens won this draft. Yeah, that's uh, the one that, that jumps out to me. Yeah, I'm trying to pull up their players right now, but if uh, I'm not Well, mistaken, they, they got the David Ajabo, who was the, you know, the first-round talent Hamilton. out of Michigan, fell to them. Kyle Hamilton, uh, the center from Iowa. Center from uh, what's Iowa? Linderbaum. Linderbaum, yeah. But they got a bunch of guys who were like at the top of the board for – uh, I mean, you're talking about guys who were all at some point talked about as top 10 picks, mm-hmm. and for some or another, I mean, in Jabo, obviously because of the Achilles. Achilles, and I have no idea why. And Linderbaum, just because, you know, is, is someone really going to take a center with a top ten pick? So I, I think they got top ten value with all three of those picks. Um, the only thing they did do was make the worst trade that anyone's ever seen. Um, I mean, maybe not because they did get a first back for Hollywood Brown, which is amazing value, mm-hmm. but like. Lamar had nobody. Now he's got less than nobody. So I don't know what they're going to do at the wide receiver position. But um, um, you'd have to think they're one of the candidates for one of those guys still left, right? Like they would, they would almost have to be. Julio in Baltimore. That act, that would seem like a pretty good fit, uh, even though he's a guy that can't totally stay healthy. But like, yeah. it was a weird move moving Hollywood Brown. But they they must really like Rashad Bateman and think he's going to be fully healthy next year. Mark Andrews was, you know, a, a very good. I know he's not a receiver, but he's a good tight end target for him. And they went out and used that first round pick on a guy that they probably think can be a starting center and, and go in. Maybe yeah, he's not a guy Lamar can throw to, but he's a guy that can help protect Lamar and help them establish the run game, which is going to be Lamar's best friend going forward. Yeah, I, I think that. Um, I think that uh, it was. It was interesting to see that trade, and I, I do want to backtrack because just looking at it on the surface, yeah, you do lose your one wide receiver, but Hollywood Brown is not worth a one. Um, that was mm-hmm. that was that was Cardinals brass trying to appease their quarterback, who's been crying all offseason. Yeah, they went best friend and overpaid for him mightily. Um, you can't Hollywood turn Brown's back. kind of a one trick pony too. Like and, and, it, and that. I think that that's what the front office in Baltimore said. We know what this is, and it's not what we need. It's not what's going mm-hmm. to take us to the next level. Would he be a nice piece next to somebody? Maybe. But how do we go get somebody? Well, give us a, give us your first. And, um, I mean, depending on what Arizona does next year and how they come into place, that could be a really nice pick, like mid-round, ne- mid-first round of mm-hmm. next year. Because if they were one of the teams to take a massive step backwards, it would not surprise me, Arizona. Uh, I, I kind of agree with you. It seems like last year was like those first, like the first six weeks or whatever, up until they lost to Green Bay was kind of their chance to do it. And then Kyler got a little bit banged up and it just kind of never seemed to click. I know they have all the weapons in the world, it seems like, on the offensive end, but it, there, there just seems like there's something wrong there. The coach, I don't think, is a great fit. Kyler seems to be a little bit, I don't want diva doesn't seem like the right word, but he doesn't, like, he has a tough time staying healthy and you know like, which, which is going to be an issue. Maybe he is a little bit of a diva. I don't really know, but like, I just, something seems off there. You know I'm what not it really is. sure what it is. I think, I think it could be simply put this way. 
They are a program, not a franchise. They run themselves like a collegiate program. They got the sexy college coach, both literally and figuratively. Mm -hmm. They got the college quarterback who won the Heisman, who's undersized, but we believe in his talent. He's going to be able to change the game. They let the crybabies get into the transfer portal. Um, they like you know they make stupid trades. I, I know that that's not necessarily a collegiate um, indicator, but it's just they just have this air of amateurism about them. I think that that's kind of how it stands out to me. And most importantly here, we saw what this team was, rather what they were not, when DeAndre Hopkins was hurt down the stretch last mm-hmm. year. Well, that's what the first six weeks yeah, of next no, by the way. So, so good luck. Good luck leaning on Hollywood Brown and A.J. Green because Christian Kirk ain't coming through that door and D-Hop popped for PED. So I, I don't know that the, that the Cardinals, um, I believe, what is it, schedule release 10 days? 14, uh, yeah, sometime yeah. later this month. They better hope they get a nice draw that first six weeks of the season because if not, they could be playing from behind in what is always, always a very tough division. Yeah, it, it, that's a good way of putting it. Like college pro. By the way, saying program is so much better. Program. Than program. It's a program. Yes. U M P R O G U M program. It's, it just P-R-G-R-U-M. seems like in Arizona there really isn't an adult in the room, and everybody that's, that's it, amateurism. Just, yeah, that's it. which I'm, I'm agreeing with you, and like. Now and back to the Ravens. Now I, I don't want to sound like the the Domer Homer here, but like I know there's quote unquote no value in the draft apparently in safety because you can get those guys in position and all that crap. Kyle Hamilton is he was no he he was top five on everyone's big board going into this draft in terms of pure talent. I don't care if you're a safety, obviously not a special team like a kicker or punter, but like outside of that, I don't care what position you play. If you're that talented of a football player. I, I don't get why you can't draft somebody in a top five, top ten because oh well he plays safety. Safeties can be game changers. Look at the look at the difference in the Bears defense when Eddie Jackson was playing at his best and when he fell off. That, that's not that big of a coincidence. Safeties can be game changers, and in also, today's NFL, safety isn't like safety is turning more and more into positionless. And that, like, sometimes you're, you know, rowing the back. Sometimes you're, you're rolled over the box. Sometimes, yes. Sa- yeah. Safety is is turning into rover, is turning into you need to play three or four different positions. And Couple Kyle Hamilton, let me tell you, big enough, fast enough, strong enough yeah. to play those different positions for Baltimore. And they're going to figure out a way to use him perfectly because they're the Baltimore Ravens and that's what they well, do. And that's, I trust that's them in a, the draft. That's the point. Not that, not that your fan base should dictate your pick, but, like, Telling Ravens fans that there's no value in safeties is telling Bears fans that there's no value in linebackers. Yeah. It's like, this is what we do, you know? Like, we we put guys in Canton from this position. Like, they've been dying for a safety since Ed Reed ran off the field for the last time. So, I, I think that Kyle Hamilton is going to be an amazing fit there. Mm-hmm. The value at the position. And I think, again, the safety position, like you said, has been devalued or, or, or it's been sort of – swept under the rug because corner has become so much more um, the focal point in these one-on-one matchups and stopping receivers. Well, like you said, if you can roll a guy down and shut down a slot, if you can um, got a guy who can come up into the box and make plays and make plays 40 yards down the field on fly balls, like that's, that's what Kyle Hamilton is. I, I, I love their draft. I love their draft. And then um, another winner you have to bring up is the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm not a big yeah. Eagles guy. I don't love them, but like, and their first round pick was they AJ Brown. They went got Georgia Jordan and Davis. got AJ Brown. <laughs> then Kobe Dean fell to them in the third round somehow. I what know was he's that got about? Them in. Some people are worried about his injury issues, but like I don't know. The fa- his family saying it's not going to be a problem. Obviously, you have to. It probably lies somewhere in between. But I just I don't know. Like if I was sitting there in the second round and I don't, 
know exactly who needed what at the time, but like I don't know how all these teams in the second round, the Patriots, the Saints, whatever, could look at this and be like, yeah, we're going to pass on him. I don't, I don't get that. Yeah, I, I mean, we saw him flying sideline to sideline. He was the, the best player thing. on the defense, on, on, on the, the best nat- defense yes. that we've seen in college football in a long time. And yet his job gets increasingly easier when you got the guys in front of you that he had in front of him there. Um, one of them's coming with him. Uh, I just think that, that that was a, I don't know, I think that that was a situation where maybe front offices had some non-material information that we were not privy to maybe. because for everybody to be on the same page and say, no, let's let's talk to him around 80. Let's talk to him around 90. You know, like Some were saying he could sneak in the first round. This was a guy who was – Defensive players in this draft. Yeah, he's undersized, but he flies around. And, you know, flip side of that coin, Matt, I I do want to take a second to applaud uh, the collective front offices of the NFL because nobody reached on quarterback. It it was plain plain and simple, uh, plain to see that this was not a quarterback class and nobody really talked themselves into one. Pittsburgh gets picket. That's just made too much sense. Same building, same state, same facility. It's it's seamless, and I think that's what they were looking for in Pittsburgh with their current state of the roster. But beyond that, nobody got panicky and reached on a quarterback. And I thought that that was um, that was a level of restraint we have not seen uh, in a very long time. Yeah, like it took away like from some of the quote unquote drama that sometimes you see in the NFL draft in these first rounds. But like those teams that reach up way up high for quarterbacks don't usually end up working. And like you saw. Oh, Malik Willis could be a dark horse to go second to the Lions. And like in years past, Kyler Murray was projected second round pick. And then all of a sudden, a week before draft night, we say, oh, he could go number one. And then he's like the consensus number one. It was nice to see teams not reach. And I think actually both quarterbacks ended up in pretty darn good spots. Like you said, Kenny Pickett makes a whole lot of sense in Pittsburgh. And I think he'll probably sit a year behind Mitch unless Mitch is really bad, which is obviously possible. But I don't think it'll be that bad. Whatever. That's a good spot for him. Uh, and a I don't know how Mitch is going to handle being in the mentor position, um, but like not, not to touch a hot button issue there with the guy we'll get to next. But like Mitch is a guy who's been in the exact same spot as Kenny Pickett and probably knows what he's going through. And, and Mitch, above all else, does seem like a team guy. Um, so I think that's a good spot for him to be. And then I think Malik Willis is a perfectly logical choice for Tennessee. And I'm just glad they didn't reach on him. They's kind of sitting there for them in the third round. I was like, all right, you know what? Ryan Tannehill's probably not the guy. Is Malik Willis the guy? I don't really know. But in the third round, sure. Um, so it, 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 yeah. it was nice to see nobody taking a third round talent, a top five in the draft. And the only thing I'll disagree with there is when you say it took away from the drama, I think it added the, to the drama because – a third of Fair the enough. picks in the first round or a quarter of the picks in the first round weren't monopolized by the quarterback position. You know, you yeah. saw a lot more. Um, you saw that run on receivers. You saw that run on linemen. You, um, I think a little bit more strategy came into it for these front offices rather than, hey, need a quarterback. He's the best one available. He's our guy, um, which it kind of becomes sometimes at the NFL draft. But Next year's class will probably revert back to something similar to that. Next next year's with number one and two probably being quarterbacks means we'll probably have a, a whole run on that early. But this, yeah, that's a fair point. Like the top ten this year was about as unpredictable as the top ten has been in quite some time. So it's fun to watch. Uh, NFL draft in the books, Vegas, your host city. Apparently, it was a uh, a nice show out there. So uh, best of luck to you and all your all your franchises or programs, uh, whoever you're rooting for. But uh, 
Hopefully the Bears can uh, take this talent and, as we said, develop it moving forward. But, Matt, let's move forward to some other topics. Uh, It is playoff time in the NBA and the NHL. Uh, You want to go big picture ideas here? NHL, I know we've only got a couple games worth of precedent, but uh, Toronto looked great in their opener. Um, Avalanche uh, Avalanche looked dominant. Uh, We had a marathon finish a night ago between Pittsburgh and New York. Um, It's been, you know, we're two days in uh, at at the recording time of this podcast, and it's already been just everything you could want the playoffs to be. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And, like, I I won't lie, this is probably – I paid close attention to hockey and, you know, what was going on, who was playing well. But, like, actually sitting down and watching games this year, I didn't do a ton because I got – I'm just still – upset that the Blackhawks are so bad and it kind of soured the actual watching of the product for me at times like still paying attention now that the playoffs are around like I'm just completely back all in the first two nights were a lot of fun you had teams like Colorado and Florida both kind of had the same but two prohibitive favorites in their conferences that come out both kind of had the same ends to the season where they weren't really playing for much and like just kind of waiting for the playoffs to get there had what they were going to win locked up and you saw one team in Colorado come out and score five goals in the first period and win whatever it was six to one and then you saw Florida team lose at home to Washington so those were were two interesting storylines for me Toronto looked great but I will believe Toronto will not lose in seven when I see them not <laughs> lose in seven. Um, I've, I've loved everything I've watched. Carolina for me is the, I, I don't know if I can call them a dark horse winning their division and, you know, being a top, I think is three seed in the conference, but the way they play, how deep they are, they play, they, they you're kind of like Florida that they can pull beach in just about any way they, you want to, uh, you want to play a game. They can play fast. They can play high scoring. They can play defensive. They can take away shooting and passing lanes and they have a really good home ice advantage. So that is a team for me in the East that I've cut or yeah, in the East that I've kind of found myself, especially with, you know, Tavo Teravine and still be in there. Like I've kind of found myself being my playoff team that I think I'm kind of hopping on board to root for. Wait, so wait, wait, give me that because I was just, I just got sent a message. Oh, that's okay. Um, no, no, no. I was, I was distracted. Who's your team here? Give me your Carolina. Team I'm sorry. Carolina Hurricanes. Terrible take, podcast. Take, that's Carolina, okay. okay. Joe, Joe, we all, we all do this sometimes. I've, I've been guilty of it myself before. Uh, it's the Carolina Hurricanes. The, the way they play, they're a lot of fun. A young, fun team that's been there before. And I still love Tavo. I can't not love Tavo. Yeah. He's, he's been so good to me, Joe. And I need, I'm rooting for him. You know, uh, the, you know, I'm, and I, I think I've expressed it on this podcast before. Uh, known Mad Bum detractor, and he just went after an ump for what looked oh. like uh, just checking his hand off, checking his Good. hand. And one Good. of my producers sent it to me because I am a known Mad Bum detractor. <laughs> after uh, our yeah, top headline on ESPN, Bumgarner ejected after awkward ump exchange. Lovely. Yeah, like, he's just a surly individual. Uh, really I digress. Is. My team this playoffs, I am drinking the Kool-Aid. I am ready to be hurt with our friends north of the border. I just love Austin Matthews. Toronto's fun to watch. They were extremely fun to watch in that first game. Um, I'm a huge Justin Bieber fan. Like It all just winds go. up yeah. for, me to be, for me to be pulling for Toronto here. Drake, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, running through the – skating through the six with my woes perhaps. There you go. Um, so I am, uh, I am hitching – I am hitching my uh, my cart to that uh, horse here. This playoffs, and a great sweater too. I, I know you're. I know if you're we could gonna... get a, if we could get a Toronto, New York Rangers, uh, conference final, that would be. I feel like just the best thing that the game could have. I'm sure you have some Rangers fans in in the office oh, around the building. Look, and we could have we could have 
two lines yesterday with the people Man, in jerseys at work. They're a fun team. They're they're like yeah. they're a young fun team to watch. They have the best. Igor's the, awesome. I don't know if Igor's the best goalie in the NHL, but he was this year, and he's going to win the Vesna. Yeah. Like our, our good friend Artemi Panarin is an absolute star. Adam Fox is going to be a Norris Trophy you know, candidate forever. Like they're a really fun team, and they lost yeah. a tough one last night. I still think they'll figure out a way to win that series. But also, if you haven't watched much of them and you get a chance, just do yourself a favor and watch the Colorado Avalanche. They're just so damn good. <laughs> they're so fast. They're they should win the cup, but they also should have won the cup the last two years too and didn't. So like they have to prove they can, but man, they're so good and so fun to watch. It's like, remember when we were little and Colorado was like way better than everyone on, yep. uh, NA, on NHL hits. Yeah. That's essentially what they are. They're kind of back life. to that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Matt NBA playoffs have been thrilling as well. We are on to the second round. Uh, 1-1 after some big home court holds a night ago. Mm-hmm. Memphis wins a thriller off 47 points from Ja, which is the uh, high mark for points this postseason by anybody uh, as they even things up at 1-1 with the Warriors. Um, prior to that, uh, Milwaukee just was a no-show against Boston after winning by 12 in Game 1. They lost by like 23, I believe, here yesterday mm-hmm. in Game 2. So interesting to see how that series is going to develop, um, and then Philly down 0-1. If they can steal one tonight, get back to Philly 1-1 with Joel maybe coming back with a broken face. You know he's going to have a mask on. It's going to be a cool scene. Um, And then Dallas-Phoenix out west tonight as well. I just think the Suns are the best team. I think they're the best team remaining. I think they've been the best team all season. I think at full strength. The Bucks are their worst matchup, but do the Bucks beat the Celtics? It's yeah. it's such a uh, it's such a refreshing uh, departure from what postseason basketball has been the last half mm-hmm. decade or decade. It's been, hey, call me when the conference finals start because we know the four best teams. This is like I think I said it a couple weeks ago. Whoever wins the championship this year, whoever wins the NBA finals this year. They're going to have to earn it. Like, this is going to be a legitimate banner in the rafters, not to uh, devalue a bubble banner or last year or years prior when it was just Cleveland and Golden State calling mm-hmm. me when, it's, when it happens. Like, wouldn't surprise me if it was Phoenix. Wouldn't surprise me if it was Boston. Wouldn't surprise me if it were Milwaukee. The Warriors. Wouldn't, wouldn't surprise, surprise me if, the Warriors. if it was Golden State. Um, there's yeah, there's four or five teams who I could see being the last man standing, and it's yeah. made for a really interesting first and second round. In the West, I am a little bit like, all right, get me to the conference finals. I think Ja and the Grizzlies <laughs> are a lot of fun. I think that series is going to be fun. But like that was last night was that was the Ja game, and that's what it takes to beat the Warriors. And I just I love Ja Morant. I think he's the future of this league. I think he's the future best player in this league. If he's he's already one of them, but like they're going to need forty five from him just about every night and they're going to need not the Warriors a plus game. And I, because to that point, it's going to be a good series, but the Warriors are going to come out of that series. I just, I don't see how they don't. And, and I completely agree with you because of a couple things here. Game one, when they lost by one point, Ja, I believe, had 33. Jaron Jackson Mm -hmm. Jr. had 31. Like those two guys combining for 60 plus and you lose the game. Yeah. And then here in game two, Ja has to go for 47 for you to win by five on a night when Golden State statistically had their worst three-point shooting night in the history of the franchise in playoff basketball. They shot 18% from three-point range 
last night, which is the worst percentage they've shot as a team with 20-plus attempts in a single playoff game in franchise history. I know that's a lot to unpack there. It was a shitty shooting night, and Golden State lost by five. So to your point, I do think that the eventual outcome of that series is Golden State moving on, but... It's been a fun game one and game two. You can sign me up for seven of those if you want. Yeah, so I, I guess I didn't. I didn't mean to say like fast forward me to the conference finals. I just think we know what the conference finals we know matchup going. is going yeah. to be. Though that that series will be a lot of fun to watch because that we're not done with job moments. But then um, and then you get me there and you get me to Golden State Phoenix and I'm not. I, that's uh, that's how the be hell fun. if I know you know I, I can't wait to watch that. I, I'm <laughs> about ninety five percent sure we're getting that series and I cannot wait to watch that in the yeah. East. I know. I don't think there's a chance in hell the Sixers win a game if Joel if Embiid doesn't play. I, I don't think they're winning tonight in Miami without their best player when Harden is either hurt or disinterested or whatever. It, whatever no, 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 no. I don't think it's. I don't. I think it's the latter. James Harden. James Harden no longer possesses the ability to do what Ja did last night. Yeah. To tell to tell everybody, get on my back. We're going. Like he doesn't, and he used to, that used to be his entire game. That's what he was in Houston, man. He got them places. And it would, he just doesn't have the same explosiveness. He can't exploit the pump fake the way he could. He doesn't even seem willing to try the step back. Um, yeah. He's, he's apathetic and it's pretty pathetic. And I think that, um, yeah, I think Philly without Joel is a dead duck. And uh, it sounds like, I mean, credit to Embiid who was playing through a torn ligament in his thumb already. It sounds like he wants to play here with a broken face. I don't know yeah. if the doctors are going to let him, but, um, uh, you know, it, it's in a league where guys are ready to step back and say, I'm not ready to go. Embiid sounds like one of those guys who's trying to push it, and I respect the hell out of that. Is, is there a slightest chance in the world that, I don't know his contract situation off the top of my head, but, like, at the end of this year, like, things just aren't working in Philly, and he's just like, hey, like, it's been fun, but, like, I want to change Embiid? the scenery. Yeah. I mean, it's the NBA. I guess you can't say no to any sort of movement, but I, I don't know. I, I don't think that um, I don't think that Daryl Morey is that blinded by his love for James Harden that okay. he would, even if it came down to it, it's me or James. If it became one of those situations, I still think you pick Embiid. Like that's like when you say trust the process. Joel Embiid, Embiid is, is the man. process. This is this is the seventh, eighth year of them going from literal seller seller dweller to Mm -hmm. one of the top teams in the conference and for you to just appease a star who wants to change the scenery again in today's nba sometimes that's par for the course but i I don't know i don't see that happening yeah Uh, okay fair enough i just wanted to bring that one up because you know in a league where it seems like a different star is requesting a trade every offseason i didn't know where where his leash kind of Maybe ran up, but not. I'm not going to go bad on Embiid here because he's one of my favorite players. But I I just don't know that. I don't know that you can win that way. I I don't know that um, even with Embiid, if the Sixers have enough, because it's such a stop ball offensive approach. They don't run and gun. They get into their half court sets. Joel hits turnaround baseline jumpers. Um, You got to have. A Giannis. You got to have, and I know there's one of those in the world. Mm -hmm. You got to have a a Tatum, Tatum. a Ja. You need to have a pure scorer who can not just go get buckets for you, who can make sure you have 90 possessions a game. You know, like Philly's never going to have that because ball gets to Joel 
everybody stands around. Whereas ball gets to Tatum, offense happens around him. Yeah. I know there's multiple ways you can win, but I don't know. Today's NBA to me, slashers and shooters is is how you win the game, not centers. Yeah, I think you just he's ha- he can't be the focal point of your offense. He can't be the focal focal point of your team because one, like you said, kind of stagnates your offense and just not wins. But when you do NBA. have him. He has to be. You fair enough. That's that's what Philly has to do. They have no other choice. Tobias Harris has not panned out. Despite 27 in a game one loss against Miami, that ain't it. Um, Tyrese Maxey, maybe he's the guy who initiates the offense and you get into a lot of pick and roll sets with Embiid and you get a little bit more speed and flow that way. So I think Maxey's a lovely piece, but a little bit more of a traditional guard um, rather than, I, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is you need six foot nine with an 80 inch wingspan that can shoot, that can defend, that can get to the rack. That's today's NBA. That's, That's like, easy to find. But it is. I know, it, it's, I know. Getting, I know. it's getting know, to be very easy to find because like these kids that are coming out of high school and even coming out of college, like that's. That's those are the four and five star guys. They're all six foot eight, six foot nine with jumpers and can play defense. Like that's today's NBA. It's length. Look at the uh, look at the Toronto Raptors. Toronto, the entire roster outside of Fred Van Vliet was six foot nine. Everybody's built like Spicy P, and that's the only reason that they made a, a run at the thing. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's um, I guess to the original point of it being interesting due to the parody. It's just made for a, a really entertaining product for those that have been dialed in. All right, so what do you got? What's your at this standing point in the NBA playoffs? What's your NBA Finals matchup? Bucks Suns. I think that just I'm not going to let recency bias take me off of the Bucks. I don't know that there is a defensive set that can stop Giannis with mm-hmm. or without Middleton. I think Drew Holiday is enough. I think that as, as much as I hate to say it, Grayson Allen has been an effective piece um, from from a shooting standpoint. He's a defensive liability still, but like um, Milwaukee doesn't. You have the best player in the world, point blank period. And when he when he wants to, which is pretty much every other uh, possession, he can put the ball down once, euro step with the ball up high. So nobody can get to it, elevate and dunk over whoever he wants to. Like mm-hmm. he can go get you two points whenever he wants to. He can get you three points sometimes too. Um, as long as he can stay sound from the free throw line, if they get past Boston, that's it. I don't like Boston is, I don't see Miami matching up well. I don't see Philly matching up well. Boston matches up well because they can throw so many bodies at him. Um, but if they get past Boston, I think it's hook, line, and sinker, no problem, them out of the East. And then out of the West, as much as I give pause to what often is, okay, to go back to our conversation about the Toronto Maple Leafs, mm-hmm. that's sort of Chris Paul's existence is just heartbreaking losses when it looks like you're the team that should win. And yeah. that's the only thing that gives me pause about Phoenix. Um, can Golden State maybe shoot them out of the gym in a seven-game series? Yeah, if they catch fire. Um, yeah, if Poole, Curry, and Clay give you 25-25-25, good luck beating them. But um, can they do that against a really, really well-rounded Suns team? I don't think so. So it's Suns-Bucks for me. Yeah, I'm not going to get into Rematch of last year. I'm not going to get into deep uh, of an analysis as you just did because I can't, but I'm with you. It's it just... The Bucks have the best player, and they have the most well-rounded team. 
I think they're going to get by the Celtics. I, I'm not surprised the Celtics went out one, one game too. They, I know it's never a must-win game in a series that early, but that's about as must-win as, as a game two gets. You got their best. The Bucks probably had their foot off the gas just a bit. I, I think they're going to win that series. And like you said, I, I love the Heat. I, I would I would love to see Jimmy Butler get to the finals and win a title. I just don't see them beating the Bucks. And then yeah, it's going to take like you said a perfect series from Curry and Clay and Poole and Draymond to get by the Suns. And I just, if they do that, great. I wouldn't be shocked, but I'm, I'm not going to bet against the Suns at this point. So I'm going to sit here and for 15 minutes tell you about parody in the NBA and then tell you that the NBA Finals is going to be a rematch of last season. Yeah, but like, I guess, <laughs> the thing is... We're just going like, to get there by different means. Yeah, like, and also, like we both said, if the Suns lose to Golden State, would we would we be surprised? No. If the Celtics end up pulling off this series, winning Game 7, would I be totally shocked? I'd be surprised, but I wouldn't be like, oh my God, how did that happen? That's such a big upset. And same thing with Miami and the Bucks. Like it wouldn't be like this monumental upset. Like we've seen like what, like it would have been in years past when we're getting the same finals that we're so used to. And I, and I think it is different than just, Hey, here's the answer to the question um, with the same two teams as last year, like golden state being back to this point amazes me. Yeah. You, you do have generational shooters still on your team, but like, Jordan Poole wasn't supposed to be this. Jonathan Kaminga looks like an actual piece mm-hmm. in his first few games as a professional. Um, they were they won what sixteen games two years ago? Like they were terrible without Clay. They were they were a bottom feeder. And just to snap your fingers and be back at this point, amazing story. Ja doing what he's doing, amazing story. Tatum putting super in front of his star this postseason, amazing story. So I think everywhere you look right now, there is something to be interested and engaged by in the NBA playoffs, um, which is not always the case. I yeah. guess that's the that's my that's my final selling point here on the NBA playoffs. I'm with you. I agree. You got anything else? Uh, any mailbags? I know we kind of emptied it on uh, 250. Again, thank you to those who sent in. We hope you uh, enjoyed the conversation with Mark Janowski and enjoyed some of those uh, those mailbag questions. Uh, anything anything at the bottom of the bag, Matt? Or we, no, we nothing. We, we got a couple still sitting there, but we're going to save those for a little bit of a rainy day. We had some uh, we had some good topics to talk about. And we know the dog days of summer are coming up, so we'll probably have to dig a little bit deeper at some point. We're going we're gonna to save them, but we do have a couple sitting in there, but also can use always can use more, so get on it people keep it from uh, your season doesn't stop just like ours doesn't we came right back after 250 the mailback episode you still got to keep coming back too job not done job Never. not done here on the moose and runes podcast episode 251 no days is, off. however done uh, matt rooney appreciate you as always for teeing me up here on the pod uh it's been a blast the road to 500 begins right now but for now he is matt rooney i am joe musso matt say goodbye to the people later May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs> Chicken on the state was phenomenal. <laughs>